know what that sound means. It's another exciting installment of the Van Brawl Seasons Podcast, where we talk local sports, both the Atlanta Pro franchises, like the Braves, Hawks, Falcons, and we also talk the University of Georgia Bulldogs. So strap in, guys. It's another exciting episode about to start right now. What up, podcast land? This is just Jam and Joe of the Fan Brawl Seasons podcast. On tonight's episode, we're going to talk some University of Georgia Bulldog basketball, some Atlanta Hawks basketball, and it me great pleasure to talk about some Atlanta Braves baseball as pitchers and catchers reported today. Beautiful Northport, Florida for the Braves 2021 season getting ever closer. So with me across the way tonight is my co-host who is back on the pod after a, after a week off. Mr. RG3, how's it going, my dude? It's going pretty well. Pretty well. And it's good to have you back, man. Uh, I'm glad to be back, as always. As always. And RG3, we've got a guest of the week that we're going to get to in one second. But before we get into that, I think it's time that we hear a word from our spot. The Fan for All Seasons is brought to you in part by Georgia Smoke Barbecue, authentic original oak smoked barbecue catering. Learn more at georgiasmoke.com. And we'll, we're going to move over to our guest of the week really quick. He is the backup quarterback. He is the utility guy on your baseball team. He is the sixth man coming off the bench in basketball, the ultimate pitch inning co-host slash guest, the one, the only, my dad. Dad, how's it going? Joe, it's going great. I'm really excited to be on tonight, and it's great to see our friend RG3 in the studio with us. Absolutely. So, Dad, what is that like, going from RG3's chair to jumping in the guest chair? Well, Joe, you have to be versatile. You, you, you not only have to be a fan for all seasons, you have to be a participant for all, all roles. So I enjoy being a co-host, and I enjoy being a guest. So. Well, that's good to hear. Well, we're going to get things tipped off here with a little basketball, in particular the University of Georgia Bulldog basketball team. And RG3, you may fire when ready. All right. And so you and your had the opportunity to go to the game Tuesday night against Missouri, right? What was the atmosphere and experience like? Well, it was my first Georgia game of the year inside Stegman. And I will say the thing that was weird, you, like you mentioned about the piped in crowd noise. Mm-hmm. I heard a little bit of that and it was kind of eerie. Yeah. Kind of weird <laughs> at times. But other, than, but other than the piped in crowd noise and everything, I thought it was really cool. It was really neat. I felt completely safe mm-hmm. inside Stegman. They did a really good job of spreading out. And they also did a really good job of encouraging masks and social distancing. Mm-hmm. And, and so from that standpoint, I felt really good about where everything was. But it was definitely good to get back inside the old Stegosaurus and watch a great game. Dad, what was your take on the opinion? Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I haven't been to a game all year. I did find it kind of eerie looking around that there was nobody really near me. They also chose to do the cheer where one side says George and the other side says Bulldogs. They really didn't have enough people to pull it off. Yeah, yeah, that was a little weak. That that was weird, uh, unusual. I thought it was clever the way instead of having the cheerleaders run out on the floor, they had recorded them doing their cheers and dances that they usually do in a home game they'd recorded them doing that by themselves and then played that on the jumbotron so it it was there it's just they weren't there in person Mm -hmm. Uh, also the bench uh situation the way they had everybody spread out um that was 
kind of odd, you know, it's mm-hmm. what they needed to do to be safe. But uh, the players and the assistant coaches and managers were spread out all along the baseline around under the basket. <laughs> and uh, it was it was very different. Yeah, it was for sure. And Georgia had to overcome a 13 point in the first half, but had a huge second half. What are the big factors in the UGA comeback? Well, the biggest factor to me in the second half was the power of the walk-on. And we're talking about walk-on Jackson Etter. The the walk-on out of Woodstock, Georgia, went to Etowah High School. I thought Jackson Etter w- came off the bench, pr- provided a lot of really good energy. He he took two charges. I know he had three fouls. Picked up, he hit a big three-pointer down the stretch. He made a couple big baskets. I think he had, or I want to say he had nine points off the bench for Georgia. And I just thought Jackson Etter's energy and, and his poise and control of the game was really important for Georgia and helping them engineer that comeback down the stretch. Another big factor was KD Johnson, who who's kind of Georgia's sixth man, the the guard, the freshman guard out of Atlanta. When he first came in, he ended up not scoring in the first half. And I was thinking to myself, okay, in order for us to beat a ranked opponent at home, KD Johnson's gonna have to contribute. And boy, did he contribute in the second half. Defensively, he had a couple of nice steals. He also he also did a pretty good job at the free throw line. I wanna say six of his 10 points were from the free throw line. And he had a couple big threes down the stretch, as well as make plays. Um, One in particular, he set up P.J. Horn for a big corner three from the right corner. He had a really nice drive to the basket. Found P.J. right there. P.J. hit the big three. And I I think K.D. Johnson is starting to come into his own. So so those were the two big things that stood out to me, were walk-on Jackson Etter and freshman guard K.D. Johnson. Well, I would agree with that, Joe. I think Jackson Etter provided the spark, and the other players seemed to feed off it. I thought that the defensive intensity in the second half definitely got dialed up. You know, Georgia is not a a big team, and I believe they ended up out-rebounding Missouri, which was quite an accomplishment. And you only do that with just hard work and grit, and so that was... uh, that was good to see. The other thing that really stood out to me was the the shooting percentage, especially from three. Georgia has had games, particularly on the road, where they don't shoot the three very well, but they shot the three very well the other night, and that that really gives you a spark as you're trying to make comebacks and then you know make a little space between you and your opponent. So I thought the defensive intensity and the threes and the rebounding were the key. I- I also want to bring up one more point. And when watching the game, Dad, I remember talking to you and thinking to myself, okay, the, the thing that Georgia likes to do is Georgia likes to be up Timbo and and kind of play with a little bit of speed and from, from a style standpoint. And Missouri was trying to ugly it up, make it a half-court game. I thought Georgia did a really good job of adapting itself and being able to play in the half-court. I wondered in the first half if we were going to be able to do that, and we did a really good job of it. And, the, and I will say there were moments when Georgia was able to play that up tempo style basketball and when they were able to when they were able to do it they were able to get out on the break and run one one play in particular I remember Katie Johnson had a nice steal for a breakaway dunk early in the second half and when he did that now we're starting to see Georgia's tempo Georgia's style of play come in and I think I think that momentum carried Georgia forward and it also showed me that Georgia can play in the half court from an offensive standpoint and we don't just have to necessarily just play fast and play out of control. I also thought Severe Wheeler had a really nice game. 
penetrating and getting to the rim at will whenever he wanted. He he did a great job. I mean, we're talking about the guy who leads the SEC in assists. He, he's one of the best point guards in, in the SEC, in, in college basketball, in my opinion. And I think, I think Georgia's got a really big timer in Sevilla Wheeler. Completely agree. That's That was good. Uh, oh, man, I appreciated it about the tempo because Missouri was definitely trying to slow the game down and uh, Georgia did a good job adjusting. They did. And and I will say this. I know Missouri didn't have didn't have the big man Tillman, but you just got to play with the hands you're dealt in this weird COVID basketball season, you know, that we're in. And Georgia took full advantage and did a really good job. Georgia looks to continue to build momentum on the road at Florida on Saturday. What are some keys for the dogs to get a big win on the road? against our tribal Florida? Well, I think what I was talking about a minute ago is definitely going to apply this weekend. Defensive intensity, and they have to shoot the three well. And I think Florida is going to be really hard to beat if if they're not able to to shoot at least 35% from three. And so I'm going to be watching that early on. Florida's got a really good team, a lot of talent, and uh, it'll be a great test. But if Georgia wants to get where they want to go, they've got to step up and, and beginning this Saturday. I, I agree. I think I think we're getting down to the point in Georgia's season where, where we could see some real growth out of Georgia and what they need to do to take those steps forward is, as my dad said, you know, defensive intensity, hit, hitting outside shots, and also and also finding ways to get to get multiple people involved. When Georgia has balanced scoring, I'm talking maybe four or five guys, double figures, that's honestly when Georgia's at their best. Georgia's the kind of team that doesn't have an alpha male like they did last year with Anthony Edwards. With the, for this Georgia team to be successful, they need multiple guys hitting shots and making plays and if Georgia can do that I think they can hold their own against Florida I will say this about Florida that kind of worries me a little bit they do have that super big kid dad the kid number 12 that kid kind of worries me a little bit we're gonna have to do a really good job of using our speed and using our tempo and all that kind of stuff to kind of slow him down I agree Joe I agree so hopefully the dogs can beat Florida and we can finally get a win against them because if you're looking at the standings right now they beat us in football. They beat they beat us in basketball here in Athens. I'm looking for some revenge, and I know Tom Crean is too. So I hope we beat Florida. I really do. I don't want to go 0 for 3 against them in the two sports that I love so very much at the University of Georgia. I just can't happen. <laughs> or I'll just, my, like my personal sanity will just be lost. Yeah. So we're going to keep the basketball talk going here. We're going to move away from the University of Georgia Bulldogs to the pro game. We're going to talk some Atlanta Hawks ball. And RG3, you may fire when ready, my friend. The Hawks were previously playing pretty bad stretch, having lost four straight. Does the win against Boston last night give the Hawks momentum going forward? Absolutely it does. It really does. And I know you're thinking, I know you're thinking, huh, I know Boston is coming off the second night of a back-to-back but the Hawks were desperate they were really desperate and Trey Trey Young and I'll say this about Trey Young he he put the Hawks on his back last night dropping 40 it, it is his third 40-point game of the season the 15th 40-point game of his career he was hitting everything I mean threes he was able to get to the rim and have that pattern and floater but he has thought it was a complete game out of Trey Young he was also six for six from the free throw line which is which is something else. I thought he did a really good job of, of getting people involved too. And also, I'll say this for Boston. If you try to hack at Clint Capella again, I think Clint Capella is going to burn you because, he'll keep, because it looks like to me that he's starting to make his free throws a little bit. I just kind of thought that was a weird strategy by Brad Stevens to do the hack at Clint. 
I thought that was kind of weird, but I definitely think, but I definitely think that this win gives the Hawks a lot of momentum going forward, and I'm really excited about it. Well, I I agree with you, Joe. I and I I found their strategy of you know for for anybody that didn't see it uh, towards the end of the game where when the Celtics are trying to catch up, they would have somebody just walk up and grab Clint Capella even though the ball wasn't anywhere near him, just an obvious foul to to put him on the free throw line. And the first time they did it. He missed both shots, and it looked like it might have been a good strategy for him. But they did it again the very next time the Hawks got the ball, and Capella made both shots, and then they stopped doing that. What Joe was referring to back in the day, uh, teams used to do that to Shaquille O'Neal. They called it (laughs) Hack-A-Shack. So uh, this time they were doing that to Clint Capella, and he does need to make his free throws, or else he will not be able to be in the game in the last two or three minutes when you really need him on the on the backboard. So uh, that was good. But I, I thought the Hawks gave a great effort. They looked uh, definitely focused and, and tuned, you know, tuned in. Now, they took advantage of, of the fact that Celtics didn't have their point guard last night. But, uh, you know, you got to play with who's there, as Joe said before. But the, the Hawks play the, the Celtics again on in Boston on Friday as part of the NBA's strategy to reduce travel they're playing two games in a city on one airplane trip so and i also thought that nate mcmillan did a pretty good job of filling in for lloyd pierce who's expecting his second child i think any day now i thought nate mcmillan did a pretty good job of coaching the hawks wednesday night the, the other thing that really stood out to me in the hawk game last night was just was just the way that they kind of rallied together and and really stepped up down the stretch i mean not only was trey going bananas but but you had different guys step up like clint down the stretch like John Collins who who had a couple big moments like Cam Reddish who's getting better defensively I, I think this I think this game served the Hawks well in more ways than one and I and I like where they're headed going forward what about with 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 the injuries the Hawks have had what about the second round pick Skylar Mays out of LSU what are your thoughts on the rookie guard I I thought he did a really good job in the San Antonio game last Friday and I know we got beat like a drum in that game last Friday. But Skylar Mays was the one highlight for us. I mean, he had 15 points in the second half. And he had this insane, insane dunk. I want to say it was like later in the game. But but I think Skylar Mays has kind of earned the right to get on the floor. He, he's a... He, He's a guy who can make shots. He, he's a guy who has a little bit of poise about him. I know he's not the greatest defensive player. After watching some of the Nick game, or watching all the Nick game on Monday, I should say, it, it looked to me like Derrick Rose was always a step in front of him, and he had a hard time keeping up with him defensively. But, but I think his defense is going to come. But as far as offensively giving the Hawks a spark, I thought Mays did a really good job. And I feel like until we get more people back, I think the Hawks are going to have to rely on him. Well, it was it was good to see, and it's an example of a young man man being ready when his opportunity came, you know, because he really hadn't seen the floor much, but he, uh, went, you know, due to injuries, Rayshon Rondo, um, in particular, he's he's starting to play more, and he's making his shots, and, and that's a uh, that's a pr- pretty compelling argument to the coach to put him on the floor, because... A second round draft pick in the NBA, he's getting <laughs> major minutes like that, I think that's a testament to... 
to Mr. Mays and how much work he's been putting in. I know they haven't had all the unlimited practice time like they want, but Skyler Mays has obviously put in the work, and I'm, <clears throat> and I'm happy for him, happy for him, and I hope he continues to ride out this way. I will say this one quick thing. I'm really disappointed with Rajon Rondo. I thought he was going to be a guy who was going to come in here and be steady and stuff. I know he hasn't really had much of an offseason playing with the Lakers and everything and getting that one championship ring. But I feel like of all the moves Travis Schwing and the Hawks brass have made, I think that's the one move that right now I would kill to have a, have a more solid option at the backup point guard. What's your take, Dad? Well, I agree. Uh, Rondo, it's rare for him to play two games in a row. And he's only 33 years old, which I guess in the NBA is old, but that's a pretty young man still. And, uh, but he, he has a hard time staying on the court. And when he's on the court, he doesn't always give you what you hope to get. So anyways, yeah, I, I agree. I wish the Hawks could solidify that backup point guard position. But maybe Skyler Mays can, can be part of the answer. Maybe he can. I want to hit on one more guy real quick, Dad. And that's Danilo Gallinari. Well, what have you liked about Danilo? Well, I like he's a terrific shooter and an incredible free throw shooter. He puts pressure on the other, def- on the other team's defense because you can't give him an inch, you know, to be as big as he is and to be as graceful and productive as a shooter, he's a real asset. Now, I am starting to notice on the defensive end, you don't get as much from him as I was hoping they would get, but he is getting old by NBA standards, so I guess that's uh, that's what you get, but he, he certainly can be an offensive spark. What do you think about it, Joe? I, I kind of agree. I think Gallinari's a guy who talked about his ability to hit shots. You know, whether it be threes, whether it be mid-range, you know, posting up against smaller people or smaller guards and wings and stuff. I, I like that part of the part about him and about his game, but I'm a little worried about him defensively. I feel like he's a step slow. I think the Hawks are just gonna have to ride it out with Gallinari. I, I like I like Gallo a lot. And I'm and I'm not and I'm not dogging on him. I I'm I just, I just see with my eyes, you know, what he is defensively and he's a step slow. But his off, but but we kind of knew that going in with what we were getting, and what what the Hawks need and needed at this point is a guy who can step up and hit the outside shot when need be, and Gallinari fits that. And the Hawks will play again in Boston on Friday, and then over the weekend they'll come home and play the Denver Nuggets on Sunday and the Cleveland Cavaliers on Tuesday. Then they play Boston at home next Wednesday again. What are your thoughts on the stretch of games for Atlanta? I think this is going to be an interesting stretch for the Hawks because we're coming down to the end of the first half of the of the regular season in the NBA. And th- and this is a big stretch for the Hawks. I was looking at the standings earlier today and the Hawks are 10th ranked. If the Hawks can get some can get some wins over over, over a quality Boston team on Friday and and if you can get a win against Denver on Sunday I think I think the I think the Denver game is probably going to be the toughest in that stretch for us because if you look at Denver you look at a guy like Jokic the center he's really good Jamal Murray's really good you know Mike Malone's a really good coach the the Nuggets are a really good team out west and we haven't seen them yet this year so I'm kind of so I'm a little nervous about the Denver game I think I think it's a game that we can win if we play our best but I but I feel pretty good about Cleveland on Tuesday 
away and then Boston at home. You've seen Boston a little bit and we'll, we'll just see we'll just see how they go. I hope the Hawks can at least split and at least split this little stretch of games, go two and two. But hey, I want to be greedy. I want to be three and one. I mean, <laughs> doesn't every Hawk? For sure. I wonder why the people that make the schedules put so many Boston games in such a short <laughs> period of time. I, I, I mentioned before that the two games in Boston, they're trying to minimize travel. But the idea that we had to play them again next Wednesday, that, that sounds a little crazy to me. Well, let's take a break, but... <laughs> That's not the way they do it. I think it. I think the Hawks are. Yeah, you know, there is an awful lot of talent that isn't playing because of injuries. If they could ever get their whole roster healthy at one time, it would really be fun to watch. So we'll see what happens. But this is a this is a good stretch for them here, and, and they really need to try and make some hay here. I think they're like six and seven at home right now. I, th- I think the home the home wins have got to go up, and that's got to go up. When I was looking at that this morning, getting prepared for the show, I thought, we've only won six games at home. Really? That's really weird. So anyway, so that's going to do it for the Atlanta Hawks part of the show. We're going to move to the last part of the show, RG3, and we're going to talk baseball. Some Major League Baseball. Some Atlanta Braves. Atlanta Braves are back at it. Yeah, man. Northport, Florida, baby. Let's do it. So So let's get the Braves talk going here. Let's do it. So, using catchers reported today, like you said earlier, what are some early storylines that you're interested in following the next couple of days? I think the fifth starter is going to be interesting. Who who fills that role? I think another I think another storyline is bullpen. Does Anthopolis do? And as far as far as acquiring another arm, you know Shane Green's out there. I know they've acquired some guys through waivers and stuff like that. Do you want to go with somebody internal as your closer? Do you want to go with Will Smith, who ultimately I think will be the closer? I think it'll be Will Smith, the power lefty. I think I think a full off season of Will Smith is really going to be helpful for the Braves, and I think he's going to round back into form. We're talking about a guy with the San Francisco Giants who had over 30 saves in back in 2019 and did a really good job for them, and I think. A lot of fans forget, you know, Will Smith battled COVID and got it on July 4th and was never really the same. And in the playoffs, you know, he, he wasn't he wasn't his normal Will Smith self. And so I think a full offseason, full spring training, a healthy Will Smith, I think that's your closer. But as far but as far as a right-handed option, I wouldn't mind seeing them going out and getting Shane Green to address the bullpen. And then in the rotation, some guys that I like, as as far as rotation options, I love Bryce Wilson. I think he proved to us in the playoffs that, that he's ready. It's it's his time. What what we saw against the Dodgers in game four, in game four in, is a guy who had, who, who had poise, moxie, and maturity. And I think Bryce wise beyond his years, and I think it's gonna be his spot to lose. I have that much faith in him. Until Mike Soroka gets back. Now when Mike Soroka gets back, you know, what does that do for Bryce Wilson? I think Bryce Wilson still finds a way to be on this team. I think of all the young pitchers who haven't really gotten a shot, Bryce Wilson's the one that I'm most excited about watching. So those are some early storylines that I'm looking at from a pitching standpoint. And then one more storyline for me is is the makeup of the bench and also the backup catcher situation. Well, what's your take on that? Well, yeah, Joe, the, you've got uh, Travis Darnot who had a, Terrific year and won the Silver Slugger as the Braves catcher last year. And he was alternating with Tyler Flowers. Uh, the Braves have not yet uh, re- you know, come to an agreement with Tyler Flowers, but to rejoin 
the team, but they do have William Contreras, Alex Jackson, and Shang Langoliers, um, three young catchers uh, who any one of the three, uh, you know, could certainly fit in there. And uh, Langoliers is probably a little further away, but um, the Braves do have some talent there and they'd be keeping it in-house. So that would be fun to watch. Um, I think, you know, you went over the pitching pretty good, but when you had Soroka and Freed and Anderson and uh, Wilson and Smiley and Morton and Kyle Wright, that gives you, uh, you know, Several several pitchers to choose from. The relievers, you got Will Smith, A.J. Minner, Chris Martin, Tyler Matzik, and then potentially Sean Newcomb, Jacob Webb. Um, somebody to keep their eye on is uh, Carl Edwards, who uh, missed a lot of last year with injuries with Seattle, but he's a strikeout machine, and I think the Braves... Uh, metrics guys think that with a little work they could get him to be a productive member of the bullpen. That's right about Carl Edwards. You know, you know he he's definitely a guy that I that I've always enjoyed watching from afar. And I can remember watching him pitch for the Cubs at the beginning of his career, and watching him pitch against the Braves, and he carved us up. And I was thinking, man, you know, Carl Edwards. Like all I could think about was uh, Carl Edwards. Junior at Hardee's or whatever. <laughs> Whenever he came into pitch, I was like, there's Hardee's! <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that, that's definitely a name to think about, Dad. For sure. And and I also I also want to elaborate on the catching situation for a second. I'm excited about, Williams Contre- about William Contreras. I think Contreras is a guy who, who I think can get this backup catching job. He had a cup of coffee, you know, with the Braves last year. And I thought did a really good job not only calling a game... But also, but also swinging the bat as well. I thought he looked calm up there and and did a really good job behind the plate when Flowers and uh, Flowers and Darno were battling COVID last year. I thought I, I really liked Contreras, and so I hope he gets the, I I hope he gets the job. What about the two big offseason acquisitions, Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley? What are your initial thoughts on these two pitchers? Well, Morton Morton is a guy who is a big-time pitcher. I know he's a little long in the tooth, so to speak, but he started his career as a Brave. You, you, know, the, you know, the Braves drafted him, and we shipped him off to Pittsburgh in the Nate McLeod trade, which, which, looking back on it, was a really dumb trade that we did because Charlie Morton ended up being a stud and was really good for Houston and was really good for Tampa Bay last year. And I think, and I think Charlie Morton's the perfect veteran guy to come in here and kind of and kind of show these young guys how to do it. I, re- I can recall a year ago, we we thought we were gonna have this with Cole Hamels, and Cole Hamels was never really the same. And I think that's what made our pitching so so up and down and all that. As far as Smiley, I think Smiley's a strike thrower. You know, we're talking about a guy who was with the San Francisco Giants a year ago and did a and did a pretty good job for them. I think Smiley's gonna come in here and throw strikes and just be a veteran presence. But of the two of them, I'm most excited about Charlie Morton. Just because he started his career as a Brave, and now now I think we're getting to see an older pitcher come back to the team that drafted him and show these young guys how to do it. Well, I I think what's interesting about uh, Smiley and Morton joining the Braves was how it happened. They, you know, this year, the the offseason with the signings of free agents has been really slow. 
but the Braves jumped right out of the gate and signed these two guys almost immediately. And they were not guys who were, de who were necessarily on everybody's radar. So the Braves kind of jumped in, signed them, and, and took them out of the whole process. They both got nice contracts. I, but I, I thought that was neat the way, because the Braves had clearly done their homework. Now, this is not to say they're both going to be effective, but the Braves had studied them, and the Braves were convinced that they were going to be effective pitchers. And usually what happens with free agents, you start by signing the biggest name, and then it trickles down. The Braves kind of circumvented that process because they went, you know, maybe halfway down the ladder and jumped in immediately and signed these guys and took them off the market. So it'll be interesting to see if the Braves were right. I know San Francisco was a little disappointed that uh, Drew Smiley wasn't coming back, but the Braves metrics guys had watched him. He's a, sort of recovering from an injury, and they'd seen his pitches, and they're convinced that, that he's going to come back strong this year. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But uh, but the Braves definitely did not follow the mold, you know, the, the typical route in signing these two guys. I think that that's a testament to Alex Anthopoulos. You know, that's just the kind of guy that he is. Uh, and as far as not getting roped into guys with serious contracts, the thing that Anthopoulos really likes is Anthopoulos like, likes getting players that bet on themselves. And, and really try to be the best that they can be. And I think Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley are examples of that. And I think the Braves hopefully are going to get the best out of these two. Agree. Agree. And then re-signing Marcelo Zuna was pretty big uh, this offseason. Uh, in your opinion, can Azuna build off of the big season he had last year? I know a lot of people are going to think there's no way he can build he can build off it. You know, he'll regress. But I say bring it on. I think Marcelo Azuna is going to come in here and he's going to mash. Keep doing what he was doing a year ago. I, 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 just, I just like the presence that he gives the Braves in the middle of the lineup. Think about the Braves lineup now. Think about the first four. You have, you have Acuna, you have potentially Ozzy, or Dansby, and then you have Freddie in the three-hole, and then you have Azuna. I mean, that, that's a pretty tough one through four. I, I really like what Marcel did a year ago. You, you know, as I mentioned, I can't remember which pot it was. It was pretty recent, and we were talking a little bit. We were talking a little bit about the Braves, and I said Marcel Azuna is an underrated athlete. I think he's going to do a really good job in left field. I know everybody's really worried about it and be like, oh, he can't throw and all that. But Ozuna's got really good speed. He's a good athlete, and he can really hit. He can really turn on the ball, and, and it's not just all about home runs with him. I think Ozuna's a guy who can get just singles and doubles when you need him to. He's just a solid hitter I mean, he's been around you know what you know what you're getting with him it looks like he and freddie do well hitting right after each other he provides that ultimate production and he makes the braves lineup so deep so very very deep and so i think so i think the re-signing of ozuna is the biggest thing we've done all off season and one of the biggest moves alex anthopoulos has made in in his gm career as Braves GM. I agree, and uh, I guess what I'm a little concerned about is he seemed to thrive as a DH, and I'm hoping that having to run out and play in the field isn't going to take away from his hitting, but <laughs> he he did win a gold glove several years ago. I mean, he, he has it in him to be a good fielder. Now, Joe's correct. His throwing arm is not what it once was, but um, Ozuna, can, Ozuna can be a real dynamic player for the, for the Braves, especially offensively. Mm -hmm. really, so RG3, this was really fun, talking a little bit of Braves. 
a little bit of Hawks and a little bit of UGA basketball. But I, I need to ask Richard one thing before we run. Uh, Richard, you're staring down the barrel of a wedding day. <laughs> What's going through your mind these days? Ah, uh, well, uh, work's keeping me busy and... Uh doesn't allow me too much time in my head right now um but uh, i'm i'm getting really excited and that's um, great yeah i mean we we get a long grade and um i'm just excited to make it official super well we're really excited for you wish you guys nothing but the best mm, thank you rg3 is growing up <laughs> <laughs> he's growing up I, I can I can remember playing Little League Baseball with him, and now he's, like, married. And, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was going through pictures as I was looking for pictures of Evan, but I found one where I took a picture. I found your little uh, trading card from basketball camp. Oh, my gosh. And, like, back at my parents' house, I held the card up right in front of you and took a picture. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So That's awesome. That's uh, awesome. I should have sent you a Snapchat of it. Down memory lane for sure, man. <laughs> For sure. So, RG3, it's still winter. So, you beat winter in two ways. What's the first way? Well, you go to fanforallseason.com mm. and you check out the hoodie selection. Yes. And the sweatshirts. The sweatshirts are great, too. Yeah? They really are great. Uh, I haven't tried out the sweatshirt. I've heard good things about it. But, but the, hoodie... the hoodies. The hoodies are on point. Now, now, which hoodie do you have? Now, so, it is the gray. Oh, nice. Yep. And what's the other what's the other way to beat winter, RG3? The other way to beat winter is to drive on over to Georgia Smoke Barbecue. They're one of our sponsors, and they they've got authentic original oak smoke barbecue catering, and it's delicious. So to learn more, you can go to georgiasmoke.com. Absolutely. If you guys like this podcast, if you're interested in learning more about RG39, go to fanfrostseasons.com, and you can listen to all our episodes. Where, where are some of the other places people can find us, man? Anywhere that... Apple, Spotify, iHeart. We're on there. Alexa, Alexa, you can be like, hey, Alexa, play fan for all seasons. And we're there. You can find <laughs> us, guys. And also, on Apple Podcasts, if, if we could get some ratings and if we could get if we could get some stars and some likes, it would really help. And so we, we would really appreciate that. So now, to close it out. So for my dad, RG3, this has been Jamie and Joe. This has been another exciting installment of the Fan for All Seasons podcast. And we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya!